Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Greetings, fungal associates. Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Alex Croson. I'm alongside the water drinking, the unemployed, the very smiley and happy Casey Clap. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Please stop the applause. Stop the applause. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Did you like my uh, wrestler intro? Yeah, I, honestly, I feel like I wanted to come over there and give you the people's elbow. Wow. Yeah, but not out of, I mean, because it's a, it's a, it's all it's all a, a charade mm. for the entertainment value. So yeah. it would have been one of those fake people's elbow where you really like ah, and like look like I really hurt you, but you're fine. Yeah, this this podcast is a bit like that sort of dramatic uh, wrestling. You and I uh, yeah. pretend that you and I have a have a long history of friendship when we <laughs> we met six months ago. We did. Yeah, that was the first time. Is actually it was a handshake. It's like all right. Well, my agent connected you with me. Yes. Your yeah, you you get it. That's the way these things are done, people. Yeah, sorry to. Sorry to break that, uh, break that, that, sh- that glass, shatter the the veneer. Exactly. Thank you. The pull, visage. Pull back the curtain. Yeah, man. Of completely arbitrary. It's all fake. <laughs> uh, Casey, um, we have so damn much to get to today. We have a fantastic tree to talk about. One of one of one of a, a, I would say a crowd favorite. It's a one of a kind tree. Yes, and we even did it in a one of a kind way. I think. Oh, we sure did, oh, Casey. I'm so excited. More on that in a moment. Yes, but first. Some big life changes. That's right. For both of us, mm-hmm. a lot of things happening. We're both extremely busy. It's true. In different ways. Uh, let's do a 15 second catch up. Oh my God. With the Sonic thing? With the Sonic drowning oh, music. Oh God. <laughs> so, this is so stressful all the time. I know. We don't, fortunately, we don't have to listen to it while we record. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. <laughs> but I, it, it definitely is panic inducing. Yeah. Uh, so Casey, okay. I'm going to set my timer. Okay. 16 se- no 15 seconds on the clock 15 seconds on the clock okay okay begin now i am officially no longer working for the city of portland i have more free time i need to read a bunch of books i'm very excited about reading books i also am going to do a bunch of other fun stuff and i feel like i can breathe a little bit right now and i'm sad it's a big step i'm kind of worried but it's Stop. gonna be fun Okay. All right, Alex. I'm, I'm resetting the clock. Congratulations right. on your uh, on your career move. Thank you. It's very exciting. I have to say, projects galore. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm so excited to focus on them. <laughs> oh my god. Me too. All right. What do we got? You ready? All right. Yes. And I'm right. beginning. Three, two, one, go. Uh, I started personal training for the first time in my life. It's extremely, uh, uh, what's that word? Intimidating. I, I'm playing the clarinet now. I got a clarinet. Uh, it's really fun. I love learning new instruments. Uh, I'm feeling good in my body. I'm feeling good in my brain. Done. 
Wow, Casey. You got a clarinet. Yeah, I got a clarinet. It's extremely exciting. I've wanted one for a long time. I had no idea. Yeah, man. Uh, it's one of those things that I never I never learned how to play, and I, I just always wanted to. Mm, and you already said you could play a French song. Uh, I can play that Snake Charmer song. That song. Nice. All right. I'll play it for you after we are done recording here today. I would love that. I want to be charmed, Alex. I want to be charmed by you. Well, that would imply that you are a snake, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't make that uh, connection. I guess that's true. It's a snake charmer song, but you can also charm other things with it, like tree people. That's a good point. Yeah. And speaking of trees, Casey, we have a fantastic one to talk about today. It is Thuja or Thuya or Thuha. Placata. I love that. Placata, which is the Western red cedar. That is exactly what it is. Oh, you guys, anyone may recognize this from another Thuya that we did, Thuya Occidentalis. Right. The lamentable oh. Western or uh, ugh, Eastern. Eastern white cedar. Right. Or the Arborvita. This is sort of a. Uh, Wicked Witch of the West, Good Witch of the East situation, yeah, except right? Reversed, you know what I mean? Because yeah. this is, you know, obviously this is the Western one. Right. The yeah. Western Red Cedar we love. Yeah. Uh, Eastern White, not so much. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. For different reasons, of course. Yeah, but they're like cousins. Yeah, so closely related. Yeah. In fact, they look so similar. If you didn't know like exactly what you were looking for, trying to identify them, they would be very, very like a young Western Red Cedar looks really similar to a young or a mature uh white cedar from the east well speaking of identifying let's imagine that you and i are walking through a pacific northwest forest mm. as many trees this season so gorgeous. and we're just surrounded by western red cedars yeah and what you will be seeing is interestingly not a full forest of them they rarely grow in like a, a full like you walk into a forest of douglas fir really yeah you'll very rarely see something like that you'll see little groves here and there okay. but you'll mostly see like in areas where they would grow like next to streams uh, a lot of times or in like openings that have a good amount of moisture You'll see them kind of peppered in there, but interesting. You, yeah, you just generally won't see them. You'll see them, you know, especially as you go north, like in the Olympic Peninsula. You could see forests where there's a lot of them, but very rarely will you see a cohesive, like one single uh, species. Western red cedar forest. All right, so Western red cedar, we're talking about this beautiful tree. Yes. It has a really unique bark that you can tell any day of the week. Its bark is very reddish brown Mm. orange, especially when it's younger, and it's really fibrous looking. Yes. So that is like the thing that sets it apart. It looks like you have a a bunch of fibers that are really kind of um, like almost look like they'd be soft to the touch, and they really are if you actually push on them. I I have an idea for this. Oh, give it. Its bark is like made of bark dust yes yeah that's a super easy way to think about it's it. pre-dusted it's pre-dusted how and great is that it's so soft and spongy and it looks like you know as i always say like something's getting ripped apart um horizontally yeah it does that and but it just doesn't get really big and thick and furrowy but it does continually like expand out and keep this same kind of texture even as the trees get go from really small to really huge i remember as a child one of the very few nature memories i have as a child uh-huh. i remember 
scraping my nails on a Western red cedar. Oh yeah. I didn't know it was a Western red cedar. Oh, yeah, sure. And getting, getting it under my nails oh, and being like, sounds, Ooh, that's nice. Ooh, that's really, Oh yeah. man, I would have thought the exact opposite. <laughs> I've been like, Oh, I feel this off. This is awful. It's like a bunch of splinters under my nails. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like, yeah, I, love I, don't, it. I don't know why I was into that. Hey man, that's okay. Kids were into weird stuff. That's right. Yeah. I remember Nintendo. <laughs> See, I'm still into Nintendo. Hey, yeah. Right. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> Um, well, so you have this gorgeous, beautiful fibrous bark, yeah. which is something that the false cedars will have um, really kind of consistently. They don't get the big, platy, furrowy kind of bark that you expect from things in the pine family, for mm. instance. I don't know exactly why that is, but the western red cedar, the incense cedar, the uh, Eastern white cedar, the redwood, the giant sequoia, like all these things in the cypress family, a lot of those tend to have this bark that's a little more fibrousy, very fire resistant, and it just does not like to burn, and the wood and the bark is very decay resistant. This tree does not fall over. It decays. It has one specific kind of decay that can get in the middle. Wow. Um, It's called pencil rot. Huh. But other than that, like they just are so decay resistant that people have used to take the wood and just stick it straight in the ground and just use it as a fence post. Boom. Done. Wow. You don't need to treat it. People use it on decks, on siding, on the roofs of their houses, like cedar shake and things like that. Untreated. Untreated entirely. Well, the other thing about this tree is that, of course, it's a conifer. It's an evergreen conifer. That's right. But it has scale. Scale-like leaves, Alex. Yes, it has mm-hmm. scale-like leaves. And well, would you call them scale-like needles or no? No, I would say in this case they're leaves because they don't have any of the needle shape. So you would generally it's a it's a term that's broadly used, like oh, it's got pine needles, you know. But the needles, like we were saying last week um, with the hemlock, they're needle-like in that they're long and lanceolate, really skinny leaves. Yeah. But you can't spin those ones in your hand. And a needle-like, of course, is like a needle, you know, like a sewing needle, where it's long and it's round and it's skinny and it's very, very, oh. you know, tiny. So whenever you're thinking like, oh, the leaves look like they're needles, it's like, well, yes, that, that it is, but that's a square-shaped needle rather than a circular needle. This one's a little bit flatter. This one's kind of grooved on one side and kind of looks like a little teeny tiny mustache. This is interesting to me. There's This is like a new classification that because I know broadleaf, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And then you have your needle-like leaves. Yeah. And now I'm like, oh well, there's like these scale-like leaves. Exactly, it's a third. It's a third category. Yeah, they're, they're not really needles. You're they're, right. Yeah, and they're in the the big difference is that they would be more needle-like or all-like is what another term is, which an, hmm. it's a w l, which is an old style. Um, I guess it's still used, but it's like a gardening tool. Which just kind of is oh, yeah. a, a, a big triangle that goes down to a point. That's right. So they also, they would basically be those all-like things, but they're oppressed to the stem. Yeah. So they are scale-like because they look like they're literally scales attached all the way down the twigs of the, of the stems of the tree. But you look at them and you wouldn't even be able to say like, well, where, where's the twig? Because the twig is completely covered by the, the scale-like leaves. And they're oppositely arranged, Alex. If you look at a close-up picture, you can see that there's two mm. on one side and then there's flat ones on the top, two on the side, flat on the top, and then they just do that. So they're, they are oppositely arranged, but then alternating 90 degrees um, down the stem. And two by two. Yes, two by two, they march down the stem. <laughs> Is that a common thing? Um, for Yes, for this species and for a bunch of other species just like it in the cypress family. Super common to have those oppositely arranged 
leaves that are scale-like. So it's really difficult to tell a lot of times because they look like one cohesive scale section going down. Yeah. But if you look really closely, you can be like, aha, yes, I see. Okay. Yeah. I, I've never realized that they were t- they were two, two on a side, yeah. two at a time. Well, so if you take a look um, at uh, the link that we have on the website for this tree, it goes to the Oregon State um, Landscape Plants uh, database, which I love and I use all the time for this show. Yeah. Um, they have really, really nice close-up views of these leaves, and you can see really exactly what I'm talking about. And it actually shows two different species. One is the um, Lawson cypress, Camisiparis lawson. And it's really closely related, but you can see like the tiniest differences in the leaves. But in that, you can also see that both of them are still oppositely arranged scale-like leaves. Can I say this really close-up picture? Like with the leaves and the underside? uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Looks so insectoid. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks like, um, uh, I imagine it as a a carpenter worm, which are these like grubs of beetles that get into... um, uh, trees huh. and their bodies are shaped just like that, Alex. You're exactly wow. right. The last bit about these, of course, is the cones. The cones. Normally, in things in the cypress family, their cones don't look anything like what you'd expect a cone to look like. Absolutely. Usually everyone assumes it's going to be something in the pine family or a pine tree themselves. Right. And they have that central axis with the spirally arranged uh, um, cone scales coming around. This is not that. These have oppositely arranged cone scales that are oppositely arranged but don't spiral. So you have blip, 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 again, 90 degrees uh, around, which when you're thinking about it, the cone scales are probably ultimately somehow really, really super modified leaves that have become a completely different part of the tree itself. Right. So you have in a lot of pine things, the buds of where those leaves come out are spirally arranged around the leaf. Whether or not the leaves ultimately come out left and right or spirally, usually where they're connected, you could find a spiral going down the stem. Then you find that on the axis of the cone where you have the spirally arranged scales. In this, you have the opposite oppositely arranged needles, or I'm sorry, scale-like leaves, and then you see the same pattern in the cone, where the scales of the cone are also oppositely arranged down a central axis. And that's what's happening here. I had an extremely hard time following that. Oh, well, don't I'm worry so about sorry. it. I'm so sorry. The real thing that I want to point out about these cones is that they're teeny tiny, about yeah. half an inch, maybe three quarters of an inch tall. Yeah, barely they, anything. Barely anything, but they look like little tiny rosebuds. They do. And they always pop up straight on the on the uh, sprays of leaves that are coming out. Can I can I can I ask you? Well, first of all, I have to say, you know, like in a recipe, uh-huh. uh huh, it'll it'll be like a pinch or a little lots of talk about a pinch of salt. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. These are like a little pinch of cone. Yeah, that's totally a great description. <laughs> they're yeah. just a little. They're just a little bit of. It's like you took parts of another cone. Yeah, it's like I'm just take a little bit of that, and that's so the entire thing. Pop it in right here. It's gonna be good. Yeah, there's yeah. there. I don't know what I think about them, Casey. I think they're simultaneously adorable and an abomination. <laughs> well, isn't that the story of everything? I don't like that they're called cones. I'll yeah. say it. Really? I'm sorry. What? Yeah. What? I'm, I'm. Maybe this is a little purist of me, or it maybe is. a little uh, wayward. But I just wow. don't look at these and think, yeah, that's a proper cone. Wow. Yeah. Is that's that, amazing. Is they, that rude? It's not that rude. It's not that great. But it's mm. not. You know. It's to me, they look super similar to a uh, Western hemlock cone. They're just a little bit different in the the way I was trying to describe yeah. before, where you have that central axis and then cone scales coming off left and right. Yeah. Switch 90 degrees left and right, but move it down that central axis. Yeah. Whereas 
the uh, hemlock, almost the same exact thing, except they're spirally arranged down that axis. Right. So does that make more sense now? Yes. So does that change your opinion? No. Or is your, oh, dang it. <laughs> I just don't think, you know, like, uh, you know, like uh, uh, in, a, in a movie where they're like, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, kid. You got to be this tall to get. In. <laughs> yeah. And they, they like in big when he's not big enough to ride the roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. This is like you must be this big to be a cone. And and sorry, I'm sorry, you Western Red yeah. Cedar. Your mass is not enough. You're not a cone. Okay, that's fine. I. You know what? I would say to the Western Red Cedar, shh. Your cones are your own. Don't listen to them. <laughs> I would say try again next year. <laughs> Maybe when you're a little bit bigger. <laughs> well, you know what, Alex? Speaking of getting a little bit bigger. This tree will continually do that. It will try next year and next year and the next year and the next year for five or eight hundred years. Wow. They live just as long. Eight hundred? Eight hundred years. Sometimes more. Good Lord. Yeah. Remember how I said earlier it does not decay? Yeah. Well, they they tend to also do a similar thing that the, uh, say, bristlecone pines do, where if a part of it dies, there is a strip of bark connecting still some roots and some live canopy that tree will keep on kicking that's awesome they will just keep on going and you can end up getting these trees with such complex canopies where the top is died out we'll put pictures of these some of the best ones from the olympic peninsula on the instagram you'll see it and they essentially will just keep on living no matter what happens they just unless like they just completely get you know fall over which they do so rarely it's it's insane or they just like get killed by you know climate change or something like that. Sure. They just keep on cooking. Wow. It is stunning the size of these trees uh-huh. because you would walk through and they have that like the same kind of bark that you'd expect from a redwood or a sequoia. And then you walk through some of these Olympic Peninsula like protected national park forests mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, is that a redwood? And no. That's a western red cedar. Wow. They're maybe 100 feet tall, 130 feet. Like, they don't get massively tall. Yeah, no. especially for the trees out here. But they get to epic proportions in terms of diameter. Yeah, can you give me a, uh, let's say let's say in the 80th percentile, how, yeah. how, how thick are these boys? Ooh, I'd say easily 12 feet diameter. 12 feet? Yeah, yeah. And some of those, like, that's just, uh, like... A, a reasonable sized one. So if you go up to like the 99th percentile, yeah. it's it's even bigger. So the Quinault Giant, which is a western red cedar in the uh, in the Quinault Rainforest uh-huh. in the Olympic National Park, 19.5 feet diameter. Jesus. Yeah. So I can't even like imagine that. It's huge. It's, imagine a tree filling this entire room we're in. Right. That's the base of it. You know we it's talked about well, no, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say what I was was what I was about to say in our wrap up at the end of the episode. Ah, so a uh, little teaser for you. Yeah, there. Okay, Casey, how about some homegrown trivia? I Alex cannot spoil this enough because, funny enough, I know what you're gonna say yeah. because I know the book that you're talking about, and it's such a huge part of what makes this tree so interesting and unique. Yes, Casey, I am referencing the Plants of the Pacific Northwest Coast by Pojar and McKinnon, mm-hmm. my new favorite resource that I've had for a while and haven't really dug into. Yeah, well, we were on a world tour, so. That's right. I was too busy uh, uh, barfing off the side of the boat. <laughs> yeah, barfing off the side of the slip and slide that's taking us all the way to the, Russia. That was fun. <laughs> I think it was taking us to Switzerland, though. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, Casey, Sorry, all of our Swedish fans. Yeah, sorry everyone. <laughs> uh so uh here in Pojar, 
on the page for Western Red Cedar, uh, as, as, as most of these pages do, they have a big notes section with a big chunk of text about the indigenous uses of mm-hmm. this tree by the, by the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest Coast. Casey. Yes. Talk about a, uh, what would you call it? A life force. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, you p- p- say what you were going to say. Well, I was going to note that the uh, the um, we call it the Western Red Cedar. However, it's closely related to the other tree. Like, so closely, they're the same genus, mm. Thuya. We call it over there the Arborvita. Right. So when people came over here, they saw this tree and called it the giant Arborvita because they grow so huge, wow. obviously. And Arborvita literally means tree of life, Arborvitae. And that is a perfect name as I am about to recite a list of things that the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest Coast used the Western Red Cedar to make. Casey, are you ready for this? (sighs) Yes. Here we go. Dugout canoes, house planks and posts, totem and mortuary poles, bentwood boxes, baskets, clothing and hats, a variety of tools and implements such as dishes, arrow shafts, harpoon shafts, spear poles, barbecue sticks, fish spreaders and hangers, dip net hooks, fish clubs, masks, rattles, benches, cradles, (laughs) coffins, herring rakes. Hey, cradles and coffins from the cradle to the grave. Literally. Literally. Herring rakes, canoe balers, ceremonial drum logs, combs, fishing floats, berry drying racks, fish weirs. Spirit whistles and paddles. Oh my God, I want a spirit whistle. (laughs) I do too. Holy shit. Maybe somebody can hook us up. Yeah. Uh, Wow. That list is so huge and it's everything. That's everything you need to live a life. Famously, this tree has been used, like it's such an important tree spiritually to the native peoples here. Like there's some peoples that literally say they, they define themselves as the people of this tree. Right. And on top of that, they would have like ceremonies and like it would be a big deal. You didn't have a saw or anything like that. You would have essentially hatchets that they would use to take down one of these gigantic trees. And I've heard sometimes they would use dead trees like make canoes out of. Now, Casey, this is interesting. Please continue, but I have something to say about that. Well, the whole bit of it is that they would use every part of it. They would dig up the roots and use them for cord. They would use all the bark just in all the things that you're describing they would use the needles and try to extract different teas and things from them Mm -hmm. every single bit of this tree was used it none of it went to waste and it all was so important like this tree to me is such an exemplary exemplary example of what it means to have like not dependence but a a a co-evolved relationship with something that is just so honored that it's like no no no, this is the most important tree it because it without it we as a people would not be able to survive yeah it's incredible and like every facet of life you have in this list from the cradle to the grave like you said from the cradle to the grave what were you gonna say well i was gonna say it's interesting that you said they would chop down uh, one of these because in Pojar, uh-huh. I have this piece of evidence. It says, few cedar trees, well, few, not none, mm. were actually felled before European contact. My God. Instead, Casey, fallen logs or boards split from standing trees were used. Oh, my God. How did I, how did I not remember that? They are taking the hide off the cow and leaving the cow alive. <laughs> Stunning. <laughs> they would. So it says here uh, they would use a series of uh, graduated yew wood or 
antler wedges were pounded oh. into the living trees to split off a section of it. Wow. And because this thing is so rot resistant and such a survivor, it would just not affect the tree and it would keep on living. God, that's just so insane. I can't believe that I did not remember reading that. As isn't, I said, I've read this before. Isn't that incredible? I'm ashamed that I didn't and it's incredible. Like, it, that's just, how do you develop that? Like those skills and techniques to like, you have to sit there and like think, okay, okay, what do we have? How can we do this? Yeah. Put everyone's heads together and then come up. Like the, you take a you use famously strong wood, mm-hmm. another tree, use that <laughs> tree in order to figure out a way to safely take out another part of another tree, but keep that tree alive because everything about it is so important. Also, just this like this sort of like inherent forethought yeah. and preservation uh, a, a way of doing things, especially when you compare it to the European paradigm, yeah, which right? is just use up everything until it's dead and exactly. then cast it aside. Yeah. Like we don't want this, uh, this tree to be dead or fall over. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just going to take a little piece off of it. Use it to roast our salmon. Yeah. Yeah. That's all we need. Thank yeah, you tree. Exactly. So the tree of life, Alex, the tree of life, but another thing. Now, if we do switch over to the European uses uh-huh. of this tree or of other trees in general, wood from the Western red cedar, as we noted, and as was noted in there used for shake, uh, cedar shingles, cedar shake shingles. I'm having a hard time saying all that. Cedar. It's Casey. It's <laughs> cedar shake singles. Oh, you're right. That Alex, without you, cedar, cedar, cedar shake shingles sheeter sheeter <laughs> sake singles yeah there you go okay i can't even say what you're saying sillily on purpose That's no you have to at. the parody what i'm saying which will give you the correct pronunciation <laughs> oh, yeah you're right now damn it well the tree is still used today for all those purposes yeah the decay resistant wood is some of the best used for you know any woodworking project that you're trying to use oh including alex yes i've heard making guitars casey and other things that is absolutely right western red cedar a fantastic wood for making guitars among others now alex you are a guitarist is that correct i am a guitarist so have you used a tree or a, uh, a wooden instrument made of such wood i have in fact i have one sitting here oh my god it's not made of cedar oh yeah for a second i was like what <laughs> it's right there casey different woods for different guitars a fascinating subject and the subject of our episode today coming up after the break an interview with a guitarist a musician a guitar repairman and an encyclopedic knowledge about woods and how they're used to make instruments. I'm so excited. This is Alex. I believe, oh. let me count. Hold on. Yep. This is our first interview. That's right. Our, our inaugural guest on our show. I interviewed my friend Sam, and we're going to hear that interview after a short break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What's up, everybody? Alex here, and I am at the beautiful haven of all guitar lovers in Portland. 
It is Strum, and I'm here with an employee of Strum, a musician, a gigging musician, a guitar repairman, Sam Stewart. Hello, Alex. How are you doing? Hello, Sam. I'm quite well. Excellent. Thank you so much for talking to us today and to our fungal associates. Hello, all associates. Uh, So, Sam, tell us a little bit about your uh, musical background. Yeah. So, uh, I am primarily a guitar player and a trombone player, which seem like two kind of drastically opposed instruments. But I started Mm -hmm. playing guitar when I was about eight years old. um, And then I discovered the trombone when I was in sixth grade. So, I was about 11, 12 years old. Um, Took that really seriously for a long time. I still take it very seriously, but I just don't perform as much on it anymore. I see. Um, I went to college for trombone performance. um, And then um, after college, I kind of decided like, well, there seem to be more guitar gigs kind of happening around. And I also wanted to take the repair thing a little more seriously. And so there's just a lot of overlap there. Um, So my my life now is spent mostly playing guitar, but I still play and teach trombone as well. Okay. Yeah. Sam, let's get into the topic today. Uh, so we are talking Western Red Cedar today. Something hilariously on brand for our podcast happened when I showed up today. Um, why do, so we have uh, sitting around us are these beautiful guitars. They are all made of... Well, they have spruce tops. None of them, <laughs> not a single one has a cedar top. And that's, uh, that's my bad. So sorry, Alex. But, but here's the important part is that they're all, they all have something in common. They're all made of wood. Oh, yes, yes. wood comes from trees. And this is, after all, a tree podcast. And that's as close as we have to shoot here at Completely Arbitrary. (laughs) Uh, So we have a bunch of cool guitars. Uh, I have been playing guitar for... Since I was 13 years old, I'm 32 now. 19 years? Yeah. Um, If my public school math checks out, I think that's about right. That was a real stretch for me. My heart started (laughs) racing. I was like, oh my God, simple math. (laughs) Um, And I, here's the fun thing about me. I know absolutely nothing about the actual instrument, the guitar. So let's talk guitar wood. Uh, Let's maybe break down the different parts of a guitar and how it's it's constructed. Yeah. So, you know, the overwhelming majority of the uh, materials used in guitar construction, as you mentioned, are wood. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a variety of different woods and a variety of different types of woods. Like hardwoods have their place in, in an instrument and then top woods, which are generally a little bit softer, okay. um, have their, their purpose as well. So, uh, you know, we talked about the top already, which as, you know, should go without much extra description. It's the top of the guitar. It's usually yes. if the guitar has a sound hole, that's where the sound hole is. Yeah, it's the face of the guitar. Yes, exactly. Um, but then you also have the back and the sides, which again, fairly self-explanatory um the uh, if if the top is the face the uh, back would be the butt sort of you know yes Um, and the sides if i may (laughs) the sides might be the uh the sides yeah yeah so um so a uh uh, the top wood is usually something softer like like a spruce or a cedar uh the back and side woods usually are, are harder woods um, because the top is the primary part of the guitar that vibrates. Um, oh. the, the function of the back and the sides is more to reflect those vibrations out the sound hole of the guitar. So you don't want those to be as, as flexible and soft. Correct. Okay. Um, and, and in their varying degrees of flexibility, um, you can coax certain additional, you know, kind of like tonal colors out of an instrument. Um, uh, the back and side, what that is. Sure. Um, so then you also have the neck. Um, the neck is made out of a certain wood. 
Mahogany is a as a like overwhelmingly popular choice for for neck wood, but also um, maple, um, especially for electric guitars, is a common a common choice. Okay, um, you also have the fingerboard, which is typically uh, a different wood. Um, the main choices for fingerboard woods are usually like ebony or rosewood, uh, or the, are the most common. Uh, and then you have the bridge, which is also made of wood. And again, rosewood and ebony are kind of the two two leading uh, contenders for for bridge material. Casey, isn't that fascinating, Alex? I did not know. And I'm looking at your guitar right now. Yeah. I don't think I like paid so close attention to how many individual bits and parts there are and that each one is different in terms of like the, the wood. I see that there's like differences in colors. But sure. I don't think my brain said, oh, that's a different kind of wood. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to me that the top is what vibrates. Yeah. And then the rest is just holding it together, basically. And then like reverberating back or, you know, yeah, like that's right. adding, uh, amplifying it, I guess. Yes. That's just so fascinating to me because the I'm curious in this sense. And now I am a person who knows trees much better as a, a living entity, right? Right. Um, You're not a wood man. Yeah, not I'm not as much as others are. I have a lot of friends and coworkers who are you know extremely into the nuances of that kind of thing. Yes. And with this though, I'm very curious about the like the different construction parts and the kind of wood that they are in terms of their their thickness their strength you know what they do mm, yeah there's so many moving parts and by moving i mean vibrating yes which is moving <laughs> and casey sam has an analogy for how uh, a guitar is constructed okay. of different types of wood let's hear that now yeah yeah we can either dive into uh you know talk, talking about the like kind of we can talk about the different types of tone wood that we have on display and that we'll we'll kind of we'll kind of talk about you know okay. I'll, I'll play some examples um that's probably the, a good way to, good place to start the other thing and i mentioned this to you before we started recording um is kind of just sort of talking about where big picture where tone wood as a concept fits into the uh the, the makeup of a guitar and its role in the sound. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, that sounds great. Okay. So, uh, you know, my, I kind of like to think about it and this is, there's probably many better analogies. Um, I, I had a lot of teachers in music school that would, uh, they would kind of come up with analogies on the spot. Um, this is one I've used before, but it sort of smacks of something that maybe I just came up with in a fever dream. But <laughs> I like to think about a guitar sound as like a milkshake. Yes. Um, so if the, the sort of shape, build, um, you know, bracing pattern, all these like kind of big picture things that make up, make up what, you know, make up a guitar construction stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I would consider that sort of be the flavor of the guitar, you know, so like we will have a vanilla or a chocolate guitar. Okay. Um, you know, you could have like a very small bodied guitar. Those generally are going to have the same sort of quality of sound, like, you know, sort of same family of sound, you know, level volume. Um, a bigger bodied guitar is going to have some similar EQ or, you know, uh, different EQ characteristics, you know, generally more bass, a little warmer sounding. Okay. Um, so the tone woods then tend to like, and the top wood is the most important part of a guitar's tone. Like that, that will impart the most, you know, tonal characteristic on an instrument. So, okay. um, generally speaking, red cedar is, uh, more of a, a warm, lush kind of like, like rounder kind of sounding, sounding wood. Hmm. Spruce tends to be a little bit more brighter, uh, a little more direct. Um, okay. uh, you can divide up the like a plucked note on a, on a guitar or any any note on anything to like the fundamental frequency and then the overtones. That, okay, that kind of the, you know that are that, that sit on top of that and kind of give it its sparkle and characteristic sound. I see. Um, 
spruce tends to have a little bit more fundamental, a little more direct. Um, and yeah, whereas, whereas cedar is a little bit more of like a lush sound. Um, hmm. and so those things tend to lend themselves to different kinds of instruments. So like cedar, for instance, um, used more on classical guitars, nylon string guitars, and those are predominantly played, um, uh, just with your fingers. You know, there are, you know, you, they are picked sometimes, but um, primarily finger style instruments and red cedar typically you'll find on instruments that are made for being, you know, like for finger pickers, um, okay. because, um, plucking a string with your fingers is not going to yield as loud, a, a, a note as with a pick, right? You know, um, so spruce tends to respond better when it's, you know, like when it's, when it's played a little bit harder, played a little bit louder, that's when that sound really starts to come to life. Whereas cedar tends to like, if you play, um, if you you know play a cedar top guitar with a pick and really drive it, the sound can tend to start to break up and it'll start to kind of lose some of its clarity. Um, Interesting. So yeah, so that's why spruce tends to be used for like dreadnought style guitars that like bluegrass players like to use, where they you know they flat pick a lot of things and there's you know loud music tries to keep up with the banjo. Spruce right. tops tend to do a better job of sounding good and projecting at those volumes than like a cedar top guitar would. I think I was saying that you know if the if if the the general construction of the guitar is the flavor, so we've got vanilla, then maybe the top wood i like to say is sort of the like brand of ice cream you use to make it so like tillamook or dryers none of these are sponsors i don't want to get you uh, in trouble (laughs) god Um, i wish or you know or like safeway select brand ice cream like they all have they're they're all vanilla but they all are we can all tell the difference between those right so that's sort of how i would probably describe the the top wood characteristic of an instrument okay um the back and the sides uh, have less of an impact, but they still have an impact. So I would describe them sort of as like maybe the things you'd mix in with your milkshake. So you'd have wow. like, maybe these are the, if you're at Dairy Queen, maybe this is like your cheesecake that gets blended in with your Blizzard or like right. you know, your Skittles in your, or not Skittles, M&Ms uh, in your McFlurry, you know? Yeah. Then if we go one step further, like the, the materials used for the fingerboard and the bridge, um, they they can impart a, a tonal characteristic and a, and a tonal change to the instrument, mm-hmm. um, but it's very subtle and can often be masked by other other things. So I would sure. equate it to like the sprinkles. Okay, you don't really taste the sprinkles, but you know they're there. Yeah, and so it's almost the suggestion of the sprinkle <laughs> makes you interpret it differently. So some people, when they know they've got a, a you know an ebony fingerboard or a rosewood fingerboard. And I'm probably if there's guitar players listening, there are tone you know tonally minded people. Uh-huh. I'm probably going to get eviscerated because like some people are very like like no, I, a rosewood fingerboard and a, and a ebony fingerboard are going to sound completely different. But yeah. there are so many variations in the production of an instrument that you could produce two identical guitars. The same luthier could produce two identical instruments, one with a rosewood fingerboard and one with a, a an ebony fingerboard, and they might have more tonal variations due to the. Uh, just which piece of wood like they could have come from the same tree but it's just there's so many ways that the wood interacts with each other and it's part of the beauty of this instrument but yeah. it's also part of the like um the challenge in consistency of manufacturing and it's you know it's like part of the reason why vintage instruments are so special is because what for whatever reason this particular combination of wood has all worked together in concert no pun intended to create this like beautiful sounding instrument whereas another guitar that's one serial number away might sound like a dud, you know? Wow. So, um, so these are all things we have to t- consider when we talk about like the tone of an, of a guitar. You my, know? my brain is exploding, but that is such a beautiful, I mean, that's such a beautiful concept that like, I mean, this is so corny, but I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Every guitar is unique. It, and it, they really are. Casey, 
I have to. I have two things that I want to say. Okay. <laughs> so, a, I wish I was there yeah. because I wanted to be eating a milkshake like <laughs> while you guys were doing that. Just like, like I, you describe it as a milkshake, and then like look over at me and like I have just like this like whipped cream stuck all over my face, a ring of dairy in your yeah. facial hair. It's exactly what I wanted. And number two uh-huh. is I love at the end where you're just like, listen, this is gonna sound corny, but. Every single guitar is its own special little butterfly snowflake. <laughs> it's true. It's beautiful. Casey, I love the milkshake analogy. It's my favorite thing ever. Well, so now, which milkshake would you choose? Would you what, like like would you try to get the like uh, the fanciest Tillamook kind of, and then mm. you know what kind of sprinkles would you have? Like, I'm so curious if you've thought if you thought through that like milkshake analogy. As as applied to guitars, yes. Gosh, I don't know. All right, I would take I would take one from like a, a fast food restaurant, like like Steak and Shake from the East. Okay, yeah. That way, you know it's it's going to be good. It's going to be cheap. Yeah. And if you smash it on the windshield as you're driving by and you stop too suddenly, uh-huh. that's fine. I would do okay in that. I would do a like a a good boutique burger shop. Uh, milkshake. Oh, wow. So it's not like an ice cream shop. All right. So they're not like specializing in these, but it's so good and it's so solid, but it's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. All right. That's fair. I can take that. Casey, are you ready to hear some guitars? I am ready to hear some guitars. Well, let's hear some music, Casey. Let's do it. Uh, Sam, what do you think? Should we uh, play some guitars here? Sure. Let's see if I remember how. Let's do it. So we're going to kind of go down the line and describe... uh, what each of these guitars is made of, wood-wise. Um, so why don't we just start from the top? Okay. Again, no pun intended. Uh, so first up, do you want to play mine? This one has a spruce top and a mahogany back and sides. Yeah. Um, would you like me to kind of talk about maybe the tonal characteristics of mahogany before I play it or after I play it? Sure. Let's talk, let's talk about it before. Okay. All right. So uh, mahogany tends to have sort of a uh, very direct kind of mid-frequency forward uh, kind of uh, EQ profile, as it were. Um, A lot of people like it for recording because it is a very, um, it's very easy for the mics to pick it up. It's a more, like, I don't want to say simple sound, but it's, it's uh, rosewood, as we'll hear in a little bit, tends to be a bit more lush and like full you know, full bodied of a sound. I'm starting Mm -hmm. to talk like a, like a wine. I'm like, I'm not a sommelier, you know, I just, yeah. Um, but uh, the, uh, you know, rosewood tends to have a little more like sparkly high end, a little more rich bass. Mahogany is like very mid forward, you know, like strong fundamental and it's a little easier to record okay. um, and fit into a mix. So like for recording purposes, a lot of times oh. people will turn to mahogany for that reason. Interesting. So it kind of fit, frequency wise, it sort of fits in the middle. Yeah. In the yep. 1K range. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Sam, please reveal to us what you'll be playing on this guitar. So I wanted to play something that would, you know, fit in with the theme of completely arbitrary. Yeah. So I decided to play a uh, an old tune called Shady Grove. Shady Grove. Uh, you know, you know, trees and they're in the grove yes. of trees providing their shade. I mean, I feel like what you know, what, what more fitting than that's uh, right than that. So I, it brings a smile to my face that you uh, that you did a, a nice uh, a nice thematic choice. I mean, I could play some like Metallica or Megadeth if you want. You know, if you want to go. <laughs> that route i just don't know that none of their songs really deal with you know with foliage yeah environmentalism yeah i know it's just kind of a missed opportunity on their part all right uh yes shady grove i don't know if i know this tune i might know it by ear but i I don't know we'll see if i can play it right that's what you know you might not recognize it even if you do know the tune so okay (laughs) so this guitar has a spruce top i can't remember if this is a a sitka or adirondack spruce top i probably sold it to you and i don't even remember what (laughs) what, what no um 
So, uh, but yeah, it's a spruce top. Um, it's got a rosewood uh, fingerboard, rosewood bridge, uh, and then mahogany back and sides, mahogany neck. Maybe Fantastic. I mentioned that already, but lots of mahogany on this guitar. Great. Yeah. All right. Let's hear. Uh, let's hear Shady Grove. All right. That's great. That sounded amazing. Um, so I think maybe confirmation bias that I knew mahogany was like kind of a kind of a up the middle sound yeah. tonally. Uh, I I heard that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, t- t- uh, vamp on what you feel about sure. that. Yeah. No, I I think that this guitar as a mahogany instrument really like those those sort of stereotypes of mahogany as a tone would hold up like this is a very direct sounding instrument um it's 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 lovely sounding um but it, it doesn't have that like really chimey sparkly high end that we'll hear on some of the rosewood stuff yeah um which yeah w- which again for recording is really nice because it you know especially with like if you're playing with a drummer and that sort of thing it doesn't get lost in the hi-hat cymbal stuff and there's like it's a very you know uh, it's a, you know this is a great sounding instrument great yeah uh sam let's go to guitar two all right, so I think probably since we were talking about it, and it's probably the second, like, Mahogany and Rosewood are both, like, probably the, are, are the two most common back in Sidewood, so maybe I'll grab the Rosewood guitar. This is actually okay. my guitar, Oh, um, so, you know, feel free to judge judge as you will. Okay. Uh, this one didn't come from here. I've had this one since I was about 16 years old, so, Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I won't mention where I got this one either. Okay, an in-tune guitar number two, and uh, let's maybe break down what this one's made of. Okay, yeah. So this one, uh, this one I know for sure is a Sitka spruce top. Sitka is definitely the most popular spruce top. Wow. Of, 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 you know, of spruce wood used for guitar tops. Um, Adirondack is the most prized, um, hmm. uh, mostly because well, there's a lot of reasons why it's why it's prized. Um, it uh, it was it kind of rose to prominence in use at least amongst modern guitar design uh, in in the kind of pre-World War II era. Uh, Martin used Adirondack tops in their their guitars, um, the D18s, D28s, and these ones were, um, these are sort of like the holy grail of modern acoustic guitars or, or some, you know, some of the holy grails. Wow. Um, so they used Adirondack. Adirondack is um, is a very strong wood. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's of all the, the spruce species, uh, it, it tends to be the most like rigid. Um, so it can stand up to like we talked about how cedar sort of doesn't have a lot of headroom if you really dig into it and 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 play heavy. Um, it, uh, it it'll the sound will start to kind of break break up um, earlier than than spruce would. I see. So. If we're going to continue that that kind of comparison, Adirondack is is the, kind of the sort of the strongest. And if you really drive it, like it'll 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 really you know really it'll go with you. It'll go there. It's got a very large dynamic range. So Adirondack may be good for those uh, flat picking bluegrassers. Yeah, exactly. And those are the people that tend to really go for these these pre World War II Martins. Um, Interesting. Okay. So and then this guitar also has um, and this is uh, Indian rosewood back and sides, but mahogany neck. East Indian rosewood back and sides, and then a Sitka spruce top. Lovely. Um, uh, also, ebony fingerboard and ebony bridge. Awesome. Okay, let's hear Shady Grove. It's a beautiful instrument. Thank you, thank you. I'm, yeah. I'm partial to it myself. <laughs> that sounded very nice. Yes, to me, compared to the first guitar, mm-hmm. this one um, 
to me, it, it I felt that the sort of like tonal dynamic range was a little wider. Sure, uh, I could hear more like uh, now that I know that uh, that my guitar, the mahogany, is 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 a kind of a straightforward sound. Mm-hmm. This one sounded like a, a wider valley. If, sure, you know, if this was like a, a small little canyon. Yeah, and which should be noted, even though we're not um, disclosing, you know, the, the the make or or the model of these instruments, mm-hmm. your your guitar is a, is a smaller bodied instrument too. So yes. so there is there is some of that that comes into play too. You know, this okay. is a larger instrument; it's going to have a little bit a little bit more bassy sound to it. But the rosewood also does play a, a a key role in that. Sure, kind of that like you know more sparkly high end, more more like rich resonant bass, and it's going to have a little bit more headroom like in dynamic range. Like yeah. we talked about. So that's yeah. great, sweet. Casey, I got so excited when Sam mentioned Sika Spruce because I was like, "Hey, I right. know that. I know that's I actually um, as I when I was listening to this because like we said, unfortunately, I wasn't able to be here for the interview. Yes, that was like hearing all the different names. It sparked a couple things that I thought about, um, which was the like the the common names of trees versus their scientific like organization right. versus their trade names. And I think we've talked about this before, like. Yellow pine is like several different species of pine. Oh, interesting. And then fir would include Douglas fir and a bunch of other species of fir. Right. And then when you talk about things like mahogany or rosewood, mm-hmm. there are individual species. In fact, the, the rosewood that he's talking about, the Brazilian rosewood, yeah, it is in the genus uh, uh, Dalbergia, and that's Dalbergia nigra is the Brazilian one. And then the East Indian one, that is Dalbergia latifolia. Okay. Okay. But then there are like 20 more species that grow across the tropics in all over the world from Honduras to India to, you know, every little island in between Burma, you name it. Interesting. Um, but then there's also mahogany, but mahogany <laughs> is like such a wildly named tree species. Like there's no, it's it's kind of like the, um, you know, the, what's the tree that we covered in the oceans? Oh, a mangrove. A, a mangrove. There's lots of different mangroves that all are different for some reason. Right. Mahogany. There's a bunch of crazy different things. Like there are mahoganies that would be like the true mahoganies, like mm-hmm. the Cuban mahogany and Honduran mahogany. Hmm. But then as you keep going down and you like say, oh, well, is this mahogany? And everyone would just kind of cut down a tree if it looked like mahogany for whatever reason. They would call it mahogany and then sell it at the mahogany price. You know, interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll post a uh, or on our website. You can go. Um, thewooddatabase.com has a great article on this that goes through all the different things you could ever want to do. If there's a person who is as tree nerdy about wood and its properties, it's this guy. I think his name is Eric Meyer, and he, uh, wow. he also wrote a book, which I bought, and it's great. <laughs> I, in fact, I think I brought it over to you the wood book. The oh, yeah, day. the wood book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great book. And Casey, one other one other clarification: Adirondack spruce, yeah, red spruce, correct. Picea uh, Rubin, I believe Rubens, R U B E N S. Got it. And another example of a trade name versus yeah. a scientific name, exactly. Or it could just be what well, we call it red spruce down here in North Carolina. Oh. But if you go up to somewhere else, say uh, I was going to say Minnesota, but I don't even know if it grows over in Minnesota. Mm. Let's say New York. They may call it the Adirondack because that's where the Adirondack Mountains are, the, the Adirondack Range, I guess. Well, let's get back to the interview, Casey. More guitars to hear. 
All right, so we go to the next guitar. Guitar number three. All right, uh, let's talk wood on this one. Yeah, so this one, uh, this one has an Adirondack spruce top. So, th- so we're, we're kind of looking at the, the creme de la creme of Adirondack here. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So we've got that. It also has a walnut back and sides. Walnut. Um, walnut's an interesting wood because, uh, and um, maybe maybe you don't post a picture of the full instrument, but if you could post just like a close up of me at the back and you oh, can yeah. see some of the figuring, because walnut figured walnut is is really gorgeous. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's all kinds of striations and different you know color streaks and everything around it walnut behaves a bit like maple to me and that it's 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 a very hard it's a very hard hardwood i mean there's all these are all dense and hard woods but mm-hmm. um maple or uh, walnut is is very rigid um and it it tends to be a little bit more transparent um and by that i just mean that it tends to kind of reflect more what's coming from the top it doesn't impart as much of a, a sound oh. um, ma- which is why maple is is that's kind of like the hallmark of maple is that it's very like it's it's very clear and it's very it's very honest i guess it doesn't it's sort of like having just a pure vanilla shake okay. you know it's like the best vanilla ice cream you could have would be like you know like have like an adirondack spruce top with some really nice you know, ma- big leaf maple. Or wow. So um, this, this thing is just, this is, Oh, that's so interesting, Sam. So walnut is good at just, uh, it's like salt in a dish. Yes. It just accentuates exactly. the top wood sound. Yeah. That's sort of how I feel about it. Now walnut versus maple, maple sort of the, the, the kind of like champion of, of that quality. Okay. Walnut does it too, to my ear, but it also imparts a little bit of a darker sort of thing to Ooh, it too. Okay. Um, so this is an interesting combination because we have a, we've got an Adirondack spruce top, which is, you know, typically lots of fun metal very bright um and then we've got this like kind of very kind of direct um transparent clear walnut with a little bit of dark sort of thing um this also has a um uh an ebony fingerboard and ebony bridge too so there's um there's some some of that action going on too ebony is very dense and it, and it, mm. it tends to have sort of a a, a muting dampening quality interesting um, ebony will sink in water um oh. and so it's so it it tends to you know, it tends to kind of tame some of that, that kind of like pure aggression from like a uh, aggressiveness of sound from like an Adirondack spruce top. Okay. Wait, so, ebony wood comes from what tree? So ebony, uh, it, it comes from the, the genus uh, Diosporos, okay. uh, which I, from what I was reading is also in the, in the persimmon family. Oh, wow. Uh, which I, I don't know what kind of fruit, if any, the ebony tree has. It might, I mean, I guess how that would work. I don't know. Yeah, Casey again probably screaming at me. And I, I'm very curious to hear his thoughts on this. Um, <laughs> yeah, me um, too. His knowledge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ebony is super dense. Um, and so it does have a tendency to kind of like to kind of tame some of that like really kind of hard, uh, aggressive, like high end, you know, frequencies. Okay. Um, uh, you know, in, in, a, in an acoustic instrument. S- sort of a dampening quality, would you say? Yeah. Some, yeah. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Just because of how dense it is. It does not, it, it's the least, um, like sonically resonant of, of okay. uh, you know, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't really ring. I got gotcha. you. Ebony doesn't. It's more it like, holds yeah. everything down. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yep. It's sort of like the bass player of the band. If we're, if we're, right if we're going to that analogy or the cup of the milkshake, if we're going back to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's continue with the, yeah. with the milkshake analogy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's, that's this instrument. Um, Fantastic. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, well, I'll, I'll play a little bit. Uh, you're, everyone's probably getting tired of hearing the song by now. No. Well, it's, I, I think it'll be increasingly interesting to hear the differences in the, in the sound yeah, of the guitars. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so here is Shady Grove on this Adirondack spruce top uh, walnut back and side guitar. Take it away. It's a nice sounding guitar. It is. 
How yeah. does it play? How does it feel? It's nice. It's, it's a it's a it's a fine playing instrument. So all right, uh, guitar number four. Guitar number four. All Let's right. tune her up and, uh, and and then talk wood. So yeah, so guitar number four. Um, this is I, I will also say this is a smaller bodied instrument. This is more akin to this is the closest one to your instrument. Yes, um, in size. Um, so um, so that that will probably have an effect on the sound. But this one is a very like large sounding instrument anyway. So it, it is it is it's it's bigger than it than you would think. So this is it. Yeah, maple back and sides, Sitka spruce top. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, here's a uh, here's a little little shady grove. All right, let's hear it. Now here's the thing. I I like the way that guitar sounds. Yeah. It's not and maybe maybe again, maybe this is confirmation bias, but I I have a decent ear, I think. It's, it doesn't have that much like character to it. Sure. It's pretty to me it's pretty like straightforward sounding. Yeah, lots of fundamental. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of that, yeah, so a lot of that is is the fact that you've got this spruce top and you don't have, you, you've got a maple back inside that aren't really, they're, they're kind of giving you what the top's giving you, more or less. Casey. I totally heard exactly what you were talking about. Yeah? Yeah, when you described that, I was just like, yes, that's, that's exactly how I could hear it. Whereas like, characterless, I feel like that's kind of a mean way to put it, but sure. you know, it, it had that like lack of depth, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in a way that's like, well, it's music. You always, you know, you, you can make a, a kind of music that lacks or has a certain amount of depth and it can either play with or against what you're kind of aiming for. And also, yeah, when you're building a band, you know, you might not want if you if you have a, a six piece band, mm-hmm. you might not want a, car- a guitar with a ton of character. You might just want an acoustic guitar, kind of as a as a background player. Yeah, as, as to fill in some section of that that whole picture. That's so to right. Speak. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's so curious. Also, ebony is in Dios Pyros. That is uh, the fruit of that is a persimmon. Yeah, there's a persimmon tree out back. Casey, yes, uh, there is behind my apartment that building. That is exactly right. Now, the the one that we eat is either Dios Pyros Khaki or Dios Pyros Virginiana. Khaki, uh, yeah, K A K I, I believe. Oh. Yeah, that's the. I think I think it's just Chinese is what they call it, the Chinese persimmon, hmm. and that's the bigger one that you can get in the store really often. Like you can find those in the fall. Whereas the other ones, uh, the Virginiana, that's a native one over to the eastern United States, and um, they're like maybe kind of the size of i don't know big acorns maybe they're much smaller i see but they're um i believe just as delicious if you get them when they're ripe if you don't get them when they're ripe they're just the most astringent thing i've ever had in my mouth (laughs) oh my god it sucked my mouth dry that sounds terrible yeah it wasn't very good well casey that was our interview with sam stewart gosh that was just so fascinating i listened to it again this morning just because i'm like i'm just so curious like yeah the the nuances of all these things like i said just never even struck me even though i know an I understand all the nuances here, but as you actually apply them to something, mm-hmm. it's really curious to see people who have such a an intimate experience with actually making these applications and and using them to create a product or some you know, like character. Honestly, yeah, he certainly knows his stuff. Our great thanks to Sam. You can catch Sam at Strum, the guitar shop. It's on Stark Street in Portland. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend it as a patron. 
uh, it's a fantastic place to just stop by and get a drink and play some guitars that you can't afford. It's yeah. fantastic. Or here's somebody else play guitars that you can't afford. That's right. Yeah, I've actually seen you play there multiple times. Yes, you've seen me actually perform at Strum. And the next time you perform at Strum, I'm going to see you there and I'm going to encourage everyone else does too. Yeah, let's fill the place with fungal associates. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Rot that wood away. Casey, it's time for our review of the Western Red Cedar. Oh, it is, isn't it? Here's how it works. We're going to give our final thoughts on this tree and then give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden cones of honor. Yep. Casey is our resident expert. We will begin avec toi. Okay. Well, so this was this is this is a hard one for me because I love this tree. I just I think the big ones are so stunning. Mm. However, I think there are better trees. I think the if we you know if we're arbitrarily putting things on a spectrum, this one would not fall on the the highest level of the spectrum. Okay. The only reason that I, I kind of think that is that it, uh, it it gets really big and it gets really huge, but there are trees that get bigger and huger. You oh, know? okay. So, you know, it's it seems wrong to take away points because it's not the biggest and the hugest. But sure. Me, you know me, I like a uh, superlative tree. This has a superlative tree in almost every way, except it doesn't get 300 feet tall. It's tough competition out there. Can it is. See? It's it's tough competition. It's trying its best, and I love this tree so much. I am just waiting for someone to give us a soundbite of what it sounds like um, as a part of a musical instrument. Casey? Yes? I have something on for that. You're kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. Yes. But we'll talk about that later. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> So, um, I think for this, because I think it's such a spectacular tree, it's going to get mm, a 9.1. Wow, that's 9. higher 1. than I thought when you were building it up. I know, I know. It's because as I was saying it, I realized I said nothing bad about the tree. Yeah. Because there's nothing bad to say about this tree. 9.1 Golden Cones of Honor for the Western Red Cedar. That's the one. From dendrologist Casey Clapp. Uh, Casey, here's what I have to say about this tree. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic tree. Stop. I love how important it was and and is to uh, the indigenous peoples of this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, that long list that I read is stunning. Mm. It's like everything you need to live a life comes from this tree. Um, I am going to give it a very solid, strong mm-hmm. score, uh, like the tree itself. Around 8.0. Around 8.0. Now, you mean A, a space. round. Gotcha. 8.0. You're not saying, I'm going to give it about an 8.0. No. Somewhere plus or minus. Nope. No range for this bad boy. A solid 8.0. A solid 8.0. You know, for some reason, that feels like a more solid number than my 9.1. Like, I think your rating is actually higher than mine. Well, I went with my heart, Casey. Yeah, I'm not right. saying you didn't, but I did. I understand. And that, I, step aside, Casey. That was our review of the Western Red Cedar. Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. This week, our question comes from a friend of mine, uh-huh. Adam Stone. Well, Adam. Adam is a owl surveyor, I think is his title. I love that as a title. He basically hikes around in uh, in the forest uh-huh. on the coast of Oregon and looks for a specific species of owl. And every time he sees one, he notes it. 
That's amazing. And that's his job during the summers. How do you get that job? I don't. We talked to Adam. Uh, Adam, send us your, your application process. It's, I want that job. It's not all glamorous. He recently fell down a fucking mountain and f- fucked up his back really Ow. bad. <laughs> oh, that does suck. I have to say, twice. though, I would actually... He did it twice? Yeah, he did it twice. Oh, my God. Like, Poor climbed guy. back up the mountain and fell <laughs> no. comically back down? I don't think it was a Mr. Bean-esque okay. escapade. <laughs> All right, that's fair then. Well, I hope he's okay. I think he is. I spoke to him after the event, and he seemed fine. Uh, but here is, I'm par- going to paraphrase uh, his question, because I spoke to him. All right. And uh, basically, it's this. He was in the Tillamook State Forest, mm-hmm. and this was during the heat wave, Casey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of June. Uh, or the one we just no, had No, the one August. we just had. <laughs> what the second heat wave. All right. Uh, so he was saying how all the Douglas firs, you know, on the sides of these mountains, these huge Douglas fir forests, mm-hmm turned brown during the heat wave mm. but he said only the f- you know the f- four or five inches of newest growth turned brown mm-hmm. uh and then something curious happened uh a week or so later he noticed that there was fresh green growth coming out of the brown parts ah yeah and he said and i quote what the fuck is happening <laughs> oh well that's a, such a good question adam so it is, uh, so there's kind of two parts. A, what happened to these trees? So uh, the first thing to note is that trees, as they're growing, all of their water, most of the time, not necessarily all the time, especially in the um, that, that area of the coast range mm-hmm. and kind of the, the wetter areas, um, we would call it the fog belt. It's famous down in the redwoods. Wow. And um, in most areas... All the water comes from the ground. That's that's where it comes from. Okay. And it turns out that along our coast, you actually get some fog comes in and then condenses on the trees, and then they can suck in some water through their actual leaves and uh, get water that way to supplement what's coming from the ground. They're pulling up through their roots, right? Hmm. That's not quite what's going on here. Of course, we're in this gigantic heat wave. This is one of the hottest summers on record in the city of Portland. Yeah. Obviously, it's going to be the next record for the hottest year on record. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in this case, what happened is as those trees were trying to do their normal business, photosynthesize and keep themselves cool by evaporating water, same as we do with our sweat, um, the trees could not keep up with how hot it was getting. Okay. So they literally got scorched because they could not physically pull water up fast enough to keep their newest leaves, which this happened in June. So their leaves, all their newest growth had just come out in the last two months, maybe. Yeah. So it didn't quite have time to build all the big, strong um, cuticles around it and like Um, really develop all of its, um, all of its uh, defense resources. Right. So that new growth is a little tender and got sunburned. Exactly. It got sunburned sunburned and and fortunately the sunburn completely roasted it that's how hot it got is trees that normally could withstand any amount of damage got literally burnt on their the entire side of them wow it's it's stunning i've seen it all over the um the trees in the city here i've seen it in trees while driving out to the woods Mm -hmm. the tillamook state forest like um what adam was saying however second part of the question they then saw new growth come out right yeah so this happens if you get a tree that's really really stressed um it has a bud that it sets in the midsummer and that bud has all of the embryonic tissue for next year's growth and it sets it when it's done growing and it says boop okay we're just gonna chill and i'm gonna do all my photosynthesizing get all of my energy in for this next year a little bit of prep work exactly and then that bud which is already set to go next year it will come out when conditions you know back in spring happen 
However, if the tree is really stressed and all of a sudden it's like, wow, I just had this really intense moment where I lost all of the new growth I put on today, it triggers that bud (sighs) to pop that year. So you get a second flush of needles and new foliage that comes out to basically say, well, now that conditions are a little bit better, I just had such a stressful moment, I need to now work extra hard and use up the last of the resources that I had already put into this year for next year, use that up and then set another bud for next year. Okay. So uh, that was, that was my follow-up question was mm-hmm. what happens next year. So right after it pops those emergency buds, yeah, it just makes another set of buds for next year. Yes. But it is still using that same amount of resource or that resource pool that it, oh, that it had tried to store. That's so much work. It's so much work. And not only that, it has to use up what it saved to rebuild what it lost, but it didn't have what it lost to help build up new energy. Wow. So this is happening on all these trees and they're using like, I think three times the amount of energy that they would normally use. Wow. Maybe twice as much because they're just not gaining anymore. But it's just a huge energy um, energy expenditure for these mm. trees. So then next year, they're going to be behind, way behind. Where now they're hoping that it's like, okay, this year I build up all the water that I need and they're going to push out their new leaves, but their, their shoots are going to be tiny, really, really tiny. It had to spend all its savings on an emergency. Yeah. And then... It realized that all of its bills are coming up, so it had to take out more credit for the bills. Yeah, and then it'll slowly build its way out of its debt. Yeah, but ideally, it's not going to die. That's because amazing. Because if it can't get out of its debt, then the tree has not been able to catch up and make enough energy to sustain itself, and then the tree dies. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your question. We hope you enjoyed the answer. I certainly did. And uh, t- uh, take care out there with, yeah. with the owls. Try not to fall down any more mountainsides. Yes, please. Casey. Alex. That was our episode. We did it. The first of its kind. The first of its kind. We're going to do more. It's going to be, and we're, we're ideally going to be able to do them together next time because yeah. we have had open, more open schedules and now we're really planning them out to try to add these new, uh, this new adventure into the show because you know what? I don't know nothing about guitar, nor guitar wood. You so do now, my friend. I do now, but I just love the idea of bringing in other people to be like, tell us all these interesting things Yeah. and then we're going to make jokes about it. That's right. Wow. That's our job, Casey. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, and Casey, as promised. Now I know it's it was a little bit of a a little bit of a letdown yeah, that we okay. didn't get to hear a cedar guitar. It was okay. So as promised, we will be leaving this episode not to the sweet tunes of Milk by the Mini Vandals, <laughs> but of a Loden cedar top guitar you didn't thank you so much for listening to completely arbitrary our thanks to sam stewart from strum check out strum casey until next time alex i'll see you there au revoir my friend au revoir Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 